Hello, hello. Um, it's 8.40 in the morning, Monday, May 27th, and uh, I'm living today. This is my last day here. Um, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they had a funny commercial. They were promoting some contests to go to a trip anywhere. And they're just naming all these countries, and Italy, France, and then they're like, Afghanistan, and then they started, uh, they made like this funny music, and they're like, okay, well maybe not Afghanistan, <laughs> I don't know, it just hit me as weird since I'm going there today, I'm going today, um, I just got done speaking to my dad about 15 minutes ago, and we confirmed that somebody's going to come and pick me up in Peshawar, um, I'll probably spend the night at my relative's house over there, and from there I'm going to drive to Kabul, which is like a six hour drive from Peshawar. Um, and he told me to <laughs> shave my goatee, so I'll go ahead and shave that. Um, that's about it. I'm just really, really excited. I just feel like going, ah, I'm just really, 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 really excited. Signing off from San Francisco. Next recording you'll hear will probably be from Peshawar. Goodbye. Actually, on my way to Turkham right now, the border station between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, I arrived at, my, at the house in Peshawar. Um, I know I had arrived when I saw, when I saw an AK-47 in the living room, just lying up against the cabinet, fully loaded, <laughs> ready to go. Got stopped by the police and got checked and everything because they saw the microphone. But I turned it on really quick. We're at the Hyber Pass right now, and it's pretty incredible. There's a two mountains on just right between the mountain ridges, and uh, I don't want to attract unwanted attention. But I am passing through the Hyber Pass right now. This is the Hyber Pass. So I was going through the Hyber Pass. And uh, we reached Torham finally. And I didn't really have that sense of, wow, this is my country, you know. I'm flying in Afghanistan, none of that, you know, kiss the ground stuff. You know, I just saw a lot of, you know, poor kids running around, a lot of burkas, beards. Felt like a total outsider. It kept on telling me the road to Kabul is horrible. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's really been destroyed. So I was thinking, fine, a bad road. Probably potholes here and there a lot. Probably have to slow down, go around them, etc. No. <laughs> I mean, he said roads, which is the key word there. So I was thinking there would be a road there. What he should have said is from Jalalabad to Kabul, there's no road. My, I think my head probably hit the top of the car about like 30 times through the whole ride and then towards the end of the trip I was starting to get motion sickness and I would feel like I was going to throw up and I was getting really sick and dizzy this whole place was so barren and so I to tell you the truth I kind of had regretted what I had done I was like wow you know maybe maybe I wasn't ready for this
testing. One, two, three. I uh, have arrived at Kabul today. Uh, we're invited at a wedding right now. Um, I'm sitting next to my father at the table. Nasibi. Uh, that's my father. I'm talking to my father right now. <laughs> you can hear the sitar in the background playing. Two kids just sat down opposite of me, pretty much staring at me, curiously, because I do have a huge microphone in my hands. They're coming to sit next to me right now. Nimdi chere. Raim. Kabul ke Kabul ke kar chaye. Na Pakistan ke. Let me ask you why they're here. Chora Kabul amade. Unja padaram ek kiwa tana mazhe, bachi meke unja. Unja padaram ko arbor na bhi unja dega. Meke unja bekar. Yag motar do ani or spaydash das. Yeah, they they came here from Pakistan. They've been living here for about a month. His dad can't find a job. He's a his, their dad's a driver right now, and he's making about 300,000 Afghanis, which can't amount to no more than a couple of dollars. And the music is about to start in the background, so I will shut off the recording. But this is Kabul, first night, May 30th, 2002. I'm at the doorway at Kabul Hotel right now. We're actually invited somewhere for lunch. We're going to go there right now. Salama. That's my dad. <laughs> All right. In the hotel, Kabul Hotel. Let me describe the hotel to you. Me and my dad, we're in the same room. It's a pretty small room. There's two beds, a little, like, area where you can sit. Balcony where, like, probably, like, three people could stand. Um, there's actually a huge, you know, like, some, this place where a missile had hit Kabul Hotel. And it's still like that, you know, there's, like, this huge hole. All like four stories, like on one side, and this is this is one of the, this is probably one of the nicest hotels here. Hello, hello. I think it's my fourth day in Kabul. Anyways, I was just coming out of the bathroom after cleaning myself for the evening prayers, and I just heard a couple rockets outside. I ran to the balcony real quick just to see what was going on, and everybody, except for like a few people who jumped up and. Just try and see where it was coming from the rest of the city was functioning pretty normal uh, that was pretty pretty weird uh, let me ask my dad if he saw that too that the whole city was pretty normal my dad I think is listening to the news yeah, my dad said the same thing. He said that everybody's just going about their own business. That's basically what he just said in Pashto. They've seen plenty of rockets here in Kabul. Um, I'm going to go do my evening prayers and go downstairs. Today was a really interesting day. I went to the palace today, and it was just incredible. Like it's almost like going through a movie. Like this old, the gates and how they open is the huge locks. <laughs> almost look like you're visiting someplace in Disneyland or Universal Studios. But yeah, it was the real thing. All of a sudden, Karzak comes out, sees my dad, and he says hello. And then my dad introduces me to him. He's like, "This is my son." <laughs> I got kind of nervous, actually, you know, it's hard not to be, you know, meeting him. You know, that queasy feeling in your stomach felt my, you know, like, heart rate go up. 
And he, he walks so fast. He is so busy right now, especially since there's like four days to the lawyer Durga. He, he doesn't even walk. He practically runs. After that, somebody else was just entering this the, the palace, and it was um, Rashid Dostam, probably the most infamous warlord. <laughs> He's uh, pretty out there, even by Afghan standards. I've heard stories about this guy rolling over people with tanks, strapping people down to tanks and, like, crushing them. <laughs> So it's weird to shake hands with that kind of a fella. This is really interesting, just being in the palace at a time like this, you know. Like this, is, this is the future of the country right here. You have, like, infamous warlords walking this way and, like, famous ministers walking that way. It's pretty pretty exciting. I mean, it's like the equivalent, I think, of, like, the Lollapalooza or something, going backstage and getting to meet all these, like, rock stars going back and forth. It was kind of like that. <laughs> As uh, nerdy and dorky as that sounds, that's pretty much how it was like for me. I'm traveling to Parman right now. God, this road is horrible. Parman was a really interesting place. Um, it was uh, sort of this vacation place for Afghans living in Kabul. When it got a little hot, there was actually a lot of people there. A lot of people there was really packed. It's almost of a sign of things getting back to normal again, it's like people being able to visit Parman again. Because ever since the jihad and the resistance was a key area of fighting. And it was really interesting to see all those people coming back after so many years. The Taliban had banned music for six years and I think it's only been like five or six months since music has come back, so it's all still really new. And then at this one point, there's actually these men started dancing. And all these people gathered around and they're watching and clapping, and then all of a sudden, some chump with a Kalashnikov came over and, and they stopped the drums and they stopped the dancing. I was like, What are you doing? And blah, blah, blah. Not Islamic, etc. It wasn't even, you know, like girls and boys dancing or anything like that. That would be unthinkable. It was just a guy dancing. And then later on, it was really, all of a sudden I see like this huge mob running. And uh, a sick was in front and they were like dragging him forward with the Kalashnikov. And sick, you know, sick are. They're the ones with the turbans and the beard. My dad was like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we caught him drinking alcohol. And uh, I don't know what they were going to do to him. But whatever it was, it kind of put a damper on the whole thing. I am in my hotel room. It's around 9.30 a.m. And uh, my uncle came in. He's about to die for his beard. He's laughing right now. He he knows a little bit of English, and he figured out I was talking about him. He has this, you know, coloring device in his hand. It's prime cream hair color with conditioner, 45 black. And there's this lady with, like, wavy hair and smiley face. A couple of white hairs growing, so he's going to get young again. <laughs> And it's really funny because he's just like this big, like, macho commander. He's probably the biggest commander in the Kunar province area, which was Mazer fighting area. He's lost an eye. 
you know, always walking around with an AK. <laughs> he went to the bathroom to go and color his beard. Yesterday he was showing me all these parts in his body that metal just left, you know, his arms. He touched this, touched this, and I was touching it, and there's metal there, and there's metal in his head, and forehead, and like upper arm, and elbow. Just, you know, shrapnel and bullet wounds, etc. <laughs> he's He came out right now. He's closing the lid or something. I think he's working on it. Rangdikla? Oh? <laughs> he colored his beard. Testing. One, two, three. Testing. I'm sitting in my hotel room outside on the balcony. It's about 9 o'clock at night. Um, today, Haji Abdul Qadir, the vice president of Afghanistan, was assassinated. And uh, he was uh, Abdul Haq's brother. And Abdul Haq was my, my dad's best friend. Um, we were actually taken to see me and my dad. My dad took me with him. He was taken to go see the body. Dad put him in a coffin and everything, and it was a, I don't know what you call the room. I mean, it was a, like the frozen, I mean, kind of like the cold room where they keep bodies, I guess. And to be honest with you, um, I've never really seen a dead body like that. And uh, my dad, I mean, this is the first time I realized how going through a war must change you because he totally just jumped at the body, I mean, as if he was alive, and he just grabbed the towel that was on him and, you could see his almost like scratched his face or scratch marks on his face. My dad actually touched his face and was like, oh, I see there's been wounded here and here. I mean, totally cool. And uh, my dad asked if he was shot in the face. And they're like, no, he wasn't shot in the face. He was shot in the heart. And my dad was like, okay. He just casually unwrapped the towel a little more and then there was a bullet wound there. My dad touched that too and he was like, oh, okay. And... Uh, he said a little prayer and we left the room. It was it was happening way too quick to sink in. I think I'll age about five years in these three months. So I was up pretty late this morning, seven thirty, eight o'clock. I don't know, I had a hard time sleeping last night again. Knowing, you know, my dad could be assassinated just like Haji Qadir. I mean, there our driver, Sator, somebody had come, I think, who was sent from the opposition. He started asking my, our driver questions like, so how many people are with them at night sleeping? As me and my, me and my dad, you guys have any Kalashnikovs, AKs, guns? I don't know, a lot of times when he's just, like, driving in the car. It, like, the whole, like, scene plays out in my mind. Like, some guy's jumping out and shooting at, at my dad. Okay, we're heading off to work. To the palace. It's 9 o'clock. Going down the stairs, leaving the hotel. Okay, we're heading off to the car. People stopping my dad on the way. 
This is basically how every morning of ours starts. In the morning, my dad usually just goes with the, goes to meet up with Karzai and see what's going on. Gives me the phone to take messages, etc., stuff like that. That's what I basically do is um, help my dad out. Interesting parts are usually when there's something happening, like the president of Iran is coming. They started to play the, the national anthem of Iran and uh, sounded really out of tune. Twenty-three years of war. If you think about it, I mean, you, wow, it's a bad thing. But when you actually go see it, I mean, it really hits you. It's only been like six, seven months. I mean, you can still almost be proud of them that in that little time they've achieved this much at least. And just even seeing that they have the heart to go on with the band makes you proud. <laughs> Standing outside in the balcony, I see our car parked. My driver's here. Me and my driver are gonna go to Jalalabad today. In Jalalabad, we started walking to this place my driver knows, he, a friend he knows, and we're staying at his house. I've got to talk to him a little bit, and he's really an interesting character. And uh, I can't begin to tell his story. England is all about to England. Ticket are some of the England airport. He's managed to be arrested in uh, Africa. He's been arrested in Singapore. And he's been arrested in Malaysia. You might ask what he was arrested for. Uh, he's been trying to come to America <laughs> or London. He's trying to get to the West. He was actually in Rwanda before he was going to go to London, and uh, 9-11 happened, and uh, this guy was in jail for four months in Rwanda. You know, he's like, I couldn't speak the language or anything, and they'd call me Al-Qaeda, and they'd say Bin Laden's name, and that's the only thing we could understand whenever when we heard Bin Laden's name. We'd be like, no, no, no. In Malaysia, he was as close as getting on the plane. The doors were about to close, and they came in after him, and they were asking him questions about his passport, etc., and they caught him. And he's still, he's, uh, he's going to still try to <laughs> smuggle his way to America. I don't know. I, I thought sometimes maybe once I come down here and live here for a little bit, a couple months, do my part to see the country and try to help out a little with my dad, and etc. I won't feel so guilty about the situation in Afghanistan. But now I don't know if I'll feel more guilty or less guilty when I come back. When I see firsthand what's going on here and knowing that I can get away from it, but other people can't. I got really sick last night. I think I've thrown up about three times and probably gone to the bathroom about another eight or seven times. There's this kebab. It's called the Shami kebab. It's basically made of a kind of like ground beef. People tend to stay away from Shami kebab. Like not even my driver would eat it, you know. 
And he's totally used to the food here, and he doesn't eat that. And I eat it, like, almost on a nightly basis. Man, I really like it. <laughs> and uh, got me last night. I was eating it, and then halfway through it, I noticed that one of the kebabs was, like, the inside was totally red. And I was like, oh, well, screw it. I've already ate half of it now. <laughs> I, I think I purposely don't. I'm not careful, you know, I drink tap water, sink water, unbottled you know I guess it's sort of trying to adapt just like I didn't take any vaccination shots etc before I got here I think I'm paying the price for it now too because I get sick almost every week I have grown up in the states most of my life and uh, a lot of times I almost feel like I'm in denial of it or I don't want to accept it that um I am a little bit American. Not a little bit, a lot American. Another thing that has to be noted is the... I don't know, it's just the total lack of the whole female species. <laughs> I could go like a week without seeing a lady's face. Like, at 100 women, like 95 still wear burkas. Cobble market, it's pretty bustling. The equivalent of like what would be like Times Square. There's four ladies in burgers to the right. And the rest are all men. Like literally. Here I'll start counting and I'll look for a woman's face. And I'll sort of tell you how long it takes me. Burka, 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 man. Burka, burka. Still no woman. Since I've been here, I think it's been like a month and a half or two months. I don't think, I don't think I've talked to a girl or to a woman or to a lady about anything for like more than ten seconds. I'm like surrounded by men at home. I don't even have at the hotel room, in the office. When we go, everywhere we go, it's just men, 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 men. And it's really weird, and it has had an effect on me. You know, like, when women are around you, I don't know, you're, you're more uh, civilized. <laughs> they hold you back a little. But, you know, here, you know, especially being so male, like, how I used to look at violence or, like, killing, it's, it's almost become normal to me now. It's really weird. Okay, I'm in my room. I mean, not in my room, in the balcony. And it's about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I got some weapons in front of me. Here's a Makarov pistol. It's a brand new pistol. We got this as part of our security. But next to me is the infamous Kalashnikov. I just like this noise a lot. Let me take this apart. Oh, first you take the top off. And let me take this out, the bullets. Um, like my uncle has a rift with his own family. Like I think it's his nephew, I'm not sure, but it's something like that. His younger brother actually killed 
Sartor, my driver's first cousin. And they have, like, no shame, you know. They come to the room. Like, he came in, he greeted us, he shook hands. He shook hands with my driver, the younger brother, just the younger brother. He had come. Totally normal, nonchalant. And, and he left the room, and when he left the room, Sartor told me, he's like, you know, that guy killed my first cousin. I was like, what? Okay, these are the bullets. I have one bullet in my hand, and it's... I'm hitting the mic with it. It's really sharp. The first time, Sartor, when he told me that story about the, him killing his cousin, and I was, and I, it was a big deal. But I, I pretended like it was something normal, you know, and... You know, more stories and more stories. Now when somebody tells me uh, that guy needs to be killed, I'm like, hmm, okay. You should, they should probably kill him. <laughs> I'm not like, hmm, killing bad or something. You know, they're just being in this, just for a month and a half being here and going through so many changes, it's really weird. I can, can only imagine what it would be like if I lived here for like a year. <laughs> It's about 3.30 in the afternoon. We were in a room, and I was just <coughs> I was listening to you 2 Had my head down, trying to sleep. And uh, the, the bed shook, and I heard a loud boom. I came outside real quick, and I noticed the whole smoke coming out behind the Ministry of Communications, which is the building right in front of us. So, another bomb explosion in Kabul. Just one of a bunch recently. Okay, hello. I just went to find out what the explosion was all about, and uh, apparently it's a lot more serious than I thought. <clears throat> I started heading out, and I ran into someone I know, and he said he was just coming from there, and he's like, don't go there. You don't want to go there, trust me. You don't want to see it. It's happened in the middle of a really crowded marketplace, probably the most crowded place in Kabul at this time. And... Uh, I saw some of the ambulances that were coming back. I think they already took the first injuries. My my driver pointed out to me, he's like, there, look over there. And there was, there was actually blood all over the ambulance, the headlights in the front of the car. You can see the car from here and outside of my building, actually. Oh, there's some peacekeepers coming along, and I see some more. So, I don't know, we'll probably listen to the news soon. Hello? Okay, you can hear the BBC in the background. This is reported. And it was pretty quick, actually. It was probably about five minutes later. The BBC just reported breaking news, an explosion in the center of Kabul, and they say interior minister spokesman actually said it could be in, in, in Kabul Hotel, which is where we're staying. So I know once my mom, if my mom was watching the news right now, she'd be freaking out. But it's not in Kabul Hotel, because we are in Kabul Hotel. Nope, there's more. More peacekeeping troops. But you can hear the chatter in the background, and everybody's around the TV. So an explosion in central Kabul. Some reports say at least 22 are dead. So we're here. Right where the wreckage is. I'm staying in front of the wreckage. It's a closed-off area, but my dad got through 
saying he's Karzai spokesman. He needs to check out what's going on. Um, Sorry about this. That's a French reporter. He knows my dad. He recognizes him. Start talking to him. I hope it is the first and the last. I hope really deep in my so. I'm standing in front of a car that blew up. It's completely destroyed. I just... You could hear me hitting the metal. I think this place should be sealed off better. Everything is evidence all around me. And it's being tampered with. It's being moved around. But in front of me, there's a building. It's about four stories high. Glass broken completely all around. You can hear the glasses being piled up. There's all these uh, tainted red water. You can tell they've been trying to wash away the blood. Is it other? Okay, we're gonna go. Okay, back in the car. Okay, I'm I'm at the. I'll be right back. Let me close the door. Okay, well, so far as the bombing earlier in the day. Now my other uncle who works in the foreign ministry, just got a call that there's been an assassination attempt on Karzai. <laughs> Karzai had gone to Kandahar for his brother's wedding. And my dad was going to go with him too, but he stayed for me. So it's kind of nerve- nerve-wracking because the guy was actually crying and saying, if you want to come, go ahead if you don't. <laughs> but you don't know yet if it... I think it's a pretty good chance Karzai has been killed. And if Karzai is gone now, it'll be totally the end of it. Because I can't see anybody replacing Karzai. Well, our correspondent, at least, said was traveling with President Karzai when that assassination attempt was made. She sent this exclusive eyewitness report. The president was back in Kandahar for a family wedding. He waved from his car. Then the man out to kill him made his move. American bodyguards rained rapid fire from the car behind. They hit their mark. And the president was quickly swept away. Lise Doucette, BBC News. My dad is talking to my mom on the phone. I just spoke to her too, so... My mom was like, please come home. I've been getting a lot of calls from news agencies that want to comment out of my dad. And my dad can't because he just doesn't have enough information about what's going on. And it's very frustrating because I'm screening the calls. And they just won't take no for an answer. And there's just like two satellite phones Karzai has. He called both of them. Both of them are off the hook. They're not working. And that's that. September 5th, 2002. A black day for Afghanistan. Today, it's the day after the assassination, and uh, I'm going downstairs. I'm in front of my dad's office. I just got out of there. I was in a meeting with them, and after that will be the press conference. He's holding a press conference. He told my dad to hold a press conference. Okay, I'm entering the palace. 
Okay, that's Lisa said of BBC. She was actually with the president in Kandahar yesterday, and she's, I think, going to do another report from here. Okay, the gates open. Here's the president. Huge crowd. Liz, I saw your footage this, this morning. It's your footage, sir. My footage, you're filming. <laughs> I'm literally the first person standing here. Right next to cars. I'm about five feet away from him. Extremely dangerous for you to move out of Kabul among your people. It's dangerous. Liz, come on. I've been through this before. I've been hit three times when we were fighting the Soviets. Did that stop us from fighting the Soviets? My father was assassinated in Qatar by the Taliban and terrorists. Did, they, did that stop you from fighting against them? I was almost killed in, in Oregon. Did that stop you from fighting? I would not stop. I'll continue. I'm more concerned about the loss of life yesterday in Kabul than about the assassination attempt against me. Every time after I hear cars, I speak in an interview or a press conference. I get hope one, and I get it's gonna happen. It's gonna make it. But look at him talk. There's no way it's not gonna make it. But then I see what's going on, and then I'm like, okay. I just woke up. I'm, I've gotten sick again, and I have stomach pains, diarrhea. I just feel out of it. I sometimes I sleep uh, outside. There's a bed in the balcony, and I usually have to cover myself in a blanket from head to toe. You can hear the birds chirping in the background. It's almost trying to fool you in a sense. The birds chirping because it's such a peaceful sound, you know. I don't know when I hear birds chirping, I get a sense of you know that rise and shine. Good morning. <laughs> Sunny day outside. It's nothing like that. I hate to be like the grumpy pessimist, but pretty sure another bomb's gonna go off. It's not stable. I, I mean, in the last two weeks, there's probably been about a, over a dozen explosions. A lot of little ones so far. And I know they've been hushed up. And, you know, it's creating a sense of tension in the air. They're starting to realize, hey, they really don't have a control <laughs> as much as they like to pretend they do. You know, I was a lot more optimistic and hopeful about the future of Afghanistan before I came. Now it's like I'll be happy if it uh, doesn't burst into civil war again for five years. Birds chirping, rising sun shine. Uh, stomachs cramping up. <clears throat> I really, honestly feel that Afghanistan would not have the problems it's having right now if Abdul Haq was alive. It's almost like you know a person walking. And, you know, cars, that was one leg, and Abdul Haq could have been the other leg. You know, one leg's cut off now. Karzai's trying his best to hobble along, but he can't, because one half is missing. He, he's definitely somebody I look up to, 
somebody I would like to follow. I mean, he he did the you know the kalima, which is you know professing your your faith. You know the there is no god but Allah, and then Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And you know the when you're newborn, the person says whispers that in your ear. You know to sort of make you officially Muslim. It's almost like you know how Catholics get baptized. The my my dad my my family picked Abdul Haq to do it. He was he was chuckling while he was doing it in my ear too because he couldn't believe it that you know they were asking him to do it because usually you do you ask an older person to do it like a almost religious elder to do it and but they they wanted to Abdul Haq to do it because they were like we want him to follow in your footsteps so even from the beginning I've always sort of looked up to him. I, I told my dad the last thing I wanted to do before I left Afghanistan was to visit Abdul Haq's grave. Okay, I'm going up the road to Abdul Haq's grave. Okay, road ends here. Now we're walking. Me and my driver, we're gonna walk the rest of the way. Here, a little low wind blowing. I'm covered in dust. It was a terrible journey getting here. We're walking around trying to find it. No, it's not here. Oh, yeah, somebody. Uh, here we go, we found some guy walking. Okay, it is the graveyard. Okay, here we are. I'm sitting here next to a bunch of rocks piled up. There's not even a board or anything. It says Abdul Haq. I mean, we, 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 we walked right past it right a second ago when I was like, me and my driver both were like, no, this is not it. And we kept going forward. quiet place you don't hear much it's the middle of nowhere mountains all around me um i'm sitting down on the gravel i'm sitting down on the dirt can't believe i'm sitting down next to his body i don't know how to explain it just like the whole legend behind him jihad the hero and freedom fighter and Visiting Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and then all the media that was around him. And now he's in just like this little f***ing cemetery. Not even a sign that f***ing says Abdul Haq. Hello, hello. Okay, today is uh, September the 11th, 2002. It's actually my last night in Peshawar. Um, I'm, I'm at a relative's house. I spent, I'm spending the night here. And you can hear the food cooking here in the kitchen. I'm really excited about coming home. And 
Anyway, I'm gonna. Uh, I should probably go to the other rooms. I think uh, some September 11th anniversary is going on. I think it's kind of ironic that I am coming back on the night, the day of September 11th. Oh, here's Afghanistan. In a statement read at the ceremony, Afghan President Hamid Karzai said the al-Qaeda terrorists behind the September 11th attacks had also wreaked havoc on his country. At times, I almost wish that I hadn't come. It was almost better when I was away from it all, and this was still, you know, something I looked up to. And now I think about it, and I'm like, why? Why bother with them here? Maybe I should go back to the States, study business, start working with my brother, be a loan officer, go and open up my brokerage, just to live a comfortable life. But I don't think I could live comfortably like that. I'd always be thinking about what's going on in Afghanistan, what I could do to help. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.